Over the last couple of weeks, we've uh, been in a series called Eye on the Prize. This is the third and final, uh, you would say, episode maybe in that series, okay? Um, the first one was um, on the test, the second one on the work. This week's going to be on the reward. So over the last two weeks, we've learned a few things, and our scripture is focused on Philippians 3, 13, 14. Let me just give that to you as a reminder. Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize upon the upward call of God and Messiah, Yeshua. So first, we learned about the purpose of trials. Remember, trials and tests are not meant to destroy us. They're sent by God, and their unique purpose is to do what? Make us stronger, shape our character, attach us to God. But if we're asleep at the wheel, so to speak, they can catch us off guard and send us into a tailspin, right? Run us off the road. This is why Watchfulness, we learned about the character trait of watchfulness. I think I may have mentioned this um, in one of the lessons, but uh, called Zehirut, okay? Zehirut, watchfulness is so important. It's called uh, in Hebrew Zehirut, but we can say watchfulness or maybe vigilance, something like that. So in order to properly respond to the test that we're given, we have to be aware that everything in life is spiritual. Everything is spiritual in nature, and that these trials and tests are spiritual as well. And I don't mean an attack from the devil. Uh, they've been sent to help us flex our spiritual muscles. And if our spiritual muscles have atrophied due to lack of use, then, well, the first several tests are going to be painful, right? Uh, anybody ever took a long break from the gym, then get back in, and you're like, oh my goodness, or did something really, you know, physically intensive, then you're like, wow, that hurts. <laughs> um, and so when dealing with these tests, we have to have another similar sounding word. We have to have something called zerazut. Can you say zerazut? Okay, now let's, let's see if we can figure out the difference. Zehirut, say that, and zerazut. Sound real similar, all right. Zehirut is watchfulness or vigilance. Zerazut is alacrity. Now, when I first learned about this word, and someone, I said, what is zerazut? And they said, alacrity. I said, that didn't help. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Okay, alacrity. But alacrity means quickness coupled with eagerness or enthusiasm. Okay? You're, like, your mama tells you to do something, you say, yes, ma'am, and do it quickly and cheerfully. <laughs> right? Okay, that is Zerazut, or alacrity. Um, I really like, uh, as I was thinking about this, I really like um, what the coach at uh, the school that Boaz played uh, football for, I love the theme that they had for their team, okay? And it was, uh, it was at least the last year, if not uh, several years, but they had, it was based on passage of, uh, in, in the book of, um, Judges, where um, Samson encounters a lion. The lion, a young lion, roars and comes to attack. And, and what did Samson do? He didn't run and take off, you know, and hide and, and tuck tail and run. He ran to it and 
tore the line up. Okay, he killed the line. And so their, their sort of theme or their sort of slogan for their football team, especially, and probably all their athletic programs, is run to the roar. Okay? It makes me think a little bit of uh, the books, if you've read um, the, the uh, Narnia Chronicles, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, The Horse and His Boy, the series where the lion comes out and come to find out that it's actually Aslan, right, that's directing them, and he didn't know it. But anyway... <clears throat> running away because um, that's our nature. But we need to go against our nature and run to the roar. Rather than running away from our troubles, we need, we need to run toward them, to embrace them, and to learn everything that we can from them. Okay? Um, I was uh, doing preparation this week and I actually got a text from Rabbi. So uh, evidently he's been checking in on me and making sure I'm not like leading you guys down a bad path or something like that. So, <laughs> no, he, he likes to just keep his pulse, keep the pulse on things and, and know what's going on, and he, uh, he's very supportive. <clears throat> but he said, um, here's something that, that you may want to include in this that's, um, you know, one of the, you, you've heard, he's talked about his um, collection of quotes, right, that he keeps and everything, and this is, I'm sure, one of those. Uh, it's from the entrepreneur and writer Nat Alate. Eliason, I guess that's how you pronounce his name. I've never heard of this guy. Uh, on the importance of challenging yourself to do hard things. It says, the ability to do hard things is perhaps the most useful ability you can foster in yourself or your children. And proof that you are someone who can do them is one of the most useful assets you can have on your life resume. And I'm going to pause that for just a second. This reminds me of when Wesley went in to interview for this job, <clears throat> a couple, it's been a couple months ago, I guess now, but um, they, they asked him if you had this problem and this situation and you don't have a clue, you don't, have, you don't know about this information, you don't know how this stuff works, you don't know anything about it, but you're presented with this problem, how do you deal with it? He said, oh, start learning. I attack it. I pull it out piece by piece and put it back together, right? And this is, should be our approach as well. <clears throat> our self-image is composed and his, of historical evidence of our abilities. The more hard things you push yourself to do, the more confident you will see yourself to be. If you can run marathons or throw double your body weight over your head, the sleep deprivation from a newborn baby is only a mild irritant. If you can excel at organic chemistry or I don't even know how you say this, econometrics, econometrics, I don't know, econometrics, econometrics, onboarding for a new finance job will be a breeze. But if we avoid hard, thing, hard things, anything mildly challenging will be insurmountable. Okay, there's a lot of people paralyzed by that. I, I've been in that position for a long part of my life, okay? We'll cry into TikTok over an errant period, period at the end of a text message. We'll see ourselves as it as incapable of learning new skills, taking on new careers, and escaping bad situations. The proof you can do hard things is one of the most powerful gifts you can give yourself. Okay, now this, the most, you know, everything that he's talking about here is the physical stuff. But let's translate it into the spiritual here in a little bit. We already have some, but we'll attack it a little bit more. Second, we learn that once we pass our test and level up like we talked about, um, we open the door for Hashem to do the things 
that we can't. He takes over from there. We get out of the way and let him provide whatever miracle we need to get us to the next step. You might be thinking, Darren, are you telling me that I have to do, all I have to do is do work, excuse me, all, you, all that I have to do is work hard and things will magically fall into place? Is that what I'm saying? No. I've tried that and it definitely doesn't work. You can work incredibly hard at chasing the almighty, almighty dollar and it never go anywhere, right? You can stuff your mattresses with $100 bills, have millions in the bank, and still live an unfulfilled and depressing life with every little bump in the road sending you into depression. So here's the key. I'm not saying work harder. I'm not even saying work smarter necessarily, but that's a good thing to do. I'm saying do the hard work. It's difficult. Do the hard work. There's a qualitative and experiential difference between working hard and doing the hard work. Do the difficult work of transforming your character from looking more like an animal to looking more like your creator. From a person who instinctively reacts to the difficulties in life by either blowing up, blaming other people for your problems, or having a nervous breakdown, to a person who sees each of life's challenges set before him as a gift from Hashem to make him stronger, wiser, and more thankful of the Heavenly Father's gift in your life. So, with that in mind, one of the key takeaways I want you to stick in your pocket is that everything in your life is for a purpose. Every single thing in your life. Fortunately, unfortunately, we do not know why many times, but we know that Hashem is in control. I'm just sitting there, I looked at, at angels, like, why did she have to go through what she had to recently? I don't know, but God knows. It breaks my heart. It hurts me. But we... We have to know that everything is for purpose and in His hands. Some examples of some little tests are, that person just cut me off. Oh my goodness. Well, we have a couple of choices, right? Our first choice is to tell them they're number one. Uh, second uh, choice is to you know, run, off, run them off the road. But maybe a think about it. That's generally what we want, some form or fashion. It's like, God, I need a miracle. You know, <clears throat> uh, the, there's a joke that says, what's the difference between people, people praying in the church or synagogue versus people praying in the, in the casino? People in the casino really mean it. <clears throat> but there's another step in this process that we're missing, and it's really the reward. Let's take a quick look at this in this week's tour portion to get a connection. <clears throat> so in this week's tour portion of Devarim, the children of Israel are standing on the banks of the Jordan River. They're ready to enter the Promised Land. It's been 40 years since they left Egypt, right? But they needed to know what they were getting into and what was expected of them. So they needed a firm commitment to doing what it took to enter that reward. And so we have basically the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses telling them, hey, this is what's happened, this is what needs to happen, right? And you guys made a commitment, back it up. So, so wait a minute, what, what was the reward? Wasn't it that they were released from Egypt, from slavery? No, that, that was just to get them to be able to do and be what they were supposed to do and be. Okay? The miracle 
gave them the opportunity. It wasn't the goal. Too many times, that's the way we look at miracles. Whoo! Uh, God really pulled me out of this jam, right? He really saved my bacon on that one. Um, now, let's see what kind of other messes I can get myself into. So this is what Israel did time after time after time. And I'm going to tell you the reason it happened and see if we can avoid it. The problem is, the problem with Israel is, with, is that they did not make any banners. Now, you may be thinking, oh, I've been to a lot of Messianic synagogues, and I've seen a lot of banners. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? So, <clears throat> Numbers 21, verse 9. Parshat Kukat. It says this. Vayas Moshe nechosh nechoshet vayismehu al hanes. So, you probably heard it at the end. Here we are, back to our word. What word have we been learning the last few weeks? What's the Hebrew? Nes, or nes, right? Okay. What did we say it meant? Let's put that up there, that nes. There it is. What did we say it meant? Mir miracle? Where are you getting that? I'm joking. We said it meant test or trial. We said it meant miracle as well. Here's a new meaning this week. It means banner. Okay, now I don't mean like wavy banner, okay? I mean like a, an ensign, a, a standard that's on a pole, okay? Um, <clears throat> so in this, in this particular instance, in this, this phrase I just read from the, the Torah, the English says, so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a fill in the blank. Okay, normally we say pole right? But it's nace, okay? This is what it is in Hebrew, okay? So a standard, a pole, something like that. There's actually a midrash that uses this, a play, play on words here, that says what happened was that Moses made the bronze serpent, and he threw it up in the air, and it hung on a nace. Just like the scripture says, it hung on a miracle. It hung in the air. I mean, that's just, just one way to play in, play in with the text, but they put it on a pole, put it on a nace, and if a serpent bit anyone, they had a problem with the, the, the serpents biting, killing people, right? If the person was bit, they would look up on the pole and they would see the bronze serpent and they would live, right? This is what happened. So, the word nace also means banner or standards. It actually means a lot of things. I've, I've given you three examples. It's quite an amazing little word. It means test, trial. It means miracle. It means something lifted up. Standard, a signal, a flag, a signal pole, an ensign, or a banner. But today we're going to focus on the word, the, the meaning banner or signal pole. Okay? And so you may be thinking, banner, reward, how does this relate? So is the banner the reward? I mean, once we go through our test, we get a banner and we're rewarded. We're done. No, that's not what I'm talking about. If we understand the banner, though, it'll help us to get to the reward. Now understand this. We need to understand. We need to understand what the reward is. Okay. You may be thinking, you know, <clears throat> I've, I'm dealing with all these tests, and you're telling me that if I go through all these tests, I'm going to get a reward. What is the reward? What is the payoff? Is there really a payoff, and is it worth it? Um, there are several passages we could look at. Um, Yeshua told his disciples in Matthew six, 
When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, you have received, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So in this case, it's talking about some kind of reward for doing prayer. Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Or we could substitute reward. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, unless you're my wife or Wesley's wife. They do beat box in the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So what is the reward? Well, Pirkei Avot says the reward of a mitzvah, in other words, the reward of a commandment is, does anybody know? The reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah. It's another mitzvah, okay? In other words, you do something right, you do something good, you obey the Torah, you obey God's commands, whatever, guess what? You have another opportunity to obey. You have another opportunity to do what he's called you to do. It starts a pattern of goodness in your life. But guess what? It also says the reward of a transgression is a transgression. Okay? So, have you ever rolled a ball down a hill? Ever tried to do the whole trick with a snowball that supposedly, you know, snowball gets bigger. That's the theory anyway. You get a snowball, you start it down a hill. Of course, we're in Georgia. Snow doesn't exist down here. So, you know, maybe some of you northerners can can tell us about this. <laughs> some of you Nebraskans and all that, um, and uh, the Dakotas and all that. So, um, but, you know, you start the snowball, and it goes downhill, and it picks up mass, and it picks up speed, theoretically. Right. Um, this is the same thing. When we exercise doing what God wants us to through obedience, then the next time's easier. When we sin, when we do something we're not supposed to, the next time's easier. Right? That's, that's an unfortunate reality as well. There was a debate between the Sadducees and Pharisees in Yeshua's day. The Pharisees said, you know, this life is unjust, but there is reward, even though we don't see it. Sadducees said, nope, the reward reward you get in this life is it. Okay? So, the Sadducees were primarily composed of the elite, okay, the aristocracy, uh, mainly the priesthood, and they basically said, hey, because we're living the life now, we're the righteous. This is our reward. Pharisees said, no, 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 that's, there's injustice in the world. Righteous people suffer. They go through suffering in this life. Where's their reward? You know? And so they said their reward is in the world to come. And this is what Yeshua said as well, okay? Um, We don't go through tests and trials to get more stuff. I actually talked to a gentleman several years ago, probably 
20, 25 years ago or so. Um, and I, he had this belief um, that God is only interested, really, primarily interested about your material possessions and your, your wealth and your prosperity. Okay? And I looked him straight in the face. I said, you're telling me Jesus died so that I could have a Rolls Royce? He said, yes. No, that's, that's an issue. That's a problem. Tell that to somebody in Honduras, Kenya, other places, right? So, going back to the banner, how does this all play into this? Well, let me give you um, an example of something that just happened yesterday. Uh, my daughter Miriam, a uh, few weeks from now, God willing, Boaz, her, her, one of her older brothers, is going to be moving off uh, into the college dorm room at Valdosta State, praise God, and um, so she is excited about wanting to get his bedroom, okay? So, she's like, <clears throat> okay, I've got to come up with a plan to um, make this room the way I want it. I am 11 years old, I don't have a job, I want to buy stuff, I want to get some stuff to decorate this room. So how do I do that? So she came up with an idea, <clears throat> I'm going to bake some cookies and I'm going to go around to the neighborhood and see if anybody wants to buy cookies, okay? So <clears throat> yesterday she baked cookies. When I got home, we went out uh, and went door to door and sold cookies. And that little girl, out of about maybe two dozen cookies, made about almost 50 bucks. Okay? She did amazing. Uh, we have really, really nice neighbors, very kind and very generous. Um, but that experience alone will give her the confidence and courage for future entrepreneurial endeavors in the future, right? That is something that she can look back to and say, you know, that, that, I did that. That right there is a, that's a banner she can stick in the ground and say, that's my point of reference. You getting that picture? The children of Israel, okay, coming out of Egypt, they experienced God's faithfulness and a host of miracles from the time they left Egypt until they arrived in the promised land 40 years later. But these miracles, these nesim, these, this nes, this miracle, they didn't turn them into a nes, a banner, and therefore they were quickly forgotten. Does that make sense? The miracle is intended to be turned into banners that they can stick in the ground, refer back to, guide the path. Banners are important because they, they chart the journey of our past to the trajectory of our future. So my question to you is, where are the banners in your life? Did you experience the miracle but never turn it into a banner? Too many times all we can see is the problems in front of us, and we forget all the resolutions and the miracles behind us. Banners allow us to look back and see all the wonderful things God has done in our lives and reminds us that He's capable of doing even more in the future and with the things that are right in front of us, taking care of the needs that we have today. <clears throat> Rabbi 
few weeks ago, he, um, he pulled out the, the prayer journal. You guys remember that? I mean, not the prayer journal, the uh, gratitude journal. Okay? And, and said, hey, this is my gratitude journal. It's making a difference. It makes a huge difference. And this is, I think, some, some practical, a practical way that we can do this as well. We tend to be thankful at the moment, but then it sort of washes away. You know, this is a struggle myself, too, that I have to work on. So gratitude journal is a wonderful thing to begin to have, to constantly be writing things in. <clears throat> also a prayer journal. Prayer journal where God, you can write down your prayer requests and then record what God, when God answers your prayer and how. Right? To show His faithfulness in our lives. <clears throat> because Hashem transforms the nace, the test, into a nace, the miracle. But we can't be tempted into thinking that the miracle is the goal. That's, that's part of our problem. The miracle is the goal. Get me out of this jam, right? We have to do our part to turn the nace, the miracle, into a nace, a banner, so that we can use it as a reference point to see where Hashem has brought us from. We should actually be able to look back and see multiple banners atop multiple poles charting a path all the way back from our personal Egypt on a path leading us toward, we look at the direction it's headed, toward our eternal reward. So, I want to leave you with these few things. We are all created in the image of God. From our conception, we have a singular purpose, a mission spiritual tasks that we all spend the rest of our lives working on. There's a, um, there's a um, Midrashic teaching, and I'm not saying it's true, but it's a, it's a teaching, and it's a, a great illustration, though, um, that um, before birth, we're all existing, pre-existing beings, and we are basically given the choice to come to this earth and fulfill this mission, okay? And we have to accept. And, but Shem says there's one caveat. You're going to forget everything once you hit that, that reality. Everything you know here, the bliss, the joy, the, my presence, the knowledge that you have, everything is going to be gone, and you have to learn everything fresh and anew and start from scratch. And then you have to find your purpose and fulfill it, okay? And so we're born into this with an innate longing of who we are, of realizing and, and trying to find out who we are, what's our purpose in life, where are we going, what is it that we are supposed to be doing? And our mission here is to discover that and live it out. But guess what? This world is full of squirrels. Squirrels. Okay? <laughs> it's full of both bright and shiny things that, that distract us, as well as dark and terrifying things that will distract us and try to get our eyes off the prize. They will toil endlessly so that we will lose our identity and our purpose in this life. They will work hard to distract us from our mission. There was a rabbi, I think this was uh, either 18th or 19th century, his name was Zusha, you may have heard this story before. 
But he was on his deathbed. He was weeping profusely. His disciples came to him trying to comfort him. And they said, Rabbi, Rabbi, what is the problem? You, you are ready to go meet your maker. You, you know, you're, you've lived a life of faithfulness and dedication to Hashem, to the Torah, and you're ready to go. Why are you weeping so profusely? And uh, he says, well, I don't have an answer. I will not have an answer. They're like, what are you talking about? When Hashem asked me, why weren't you more like Abraham? I'll have an answer for that. I can answer. I say, because you didn't give me the faith of Abraham. When God asked me, why weren't you more like Moses? I'll have an answer. I'll say, because you didn't make me the leader that Moses was. But the answer that I'm terrified about is, why weren't you more like Zusha? That's his name. Why weren't you more like the person that I made you to be? And that's a question that we all need to ask ourselves about this life. Why aren't we more like who we are supposed to be? We don't want to look at Hashem in the eye and Him say, Why weren't you more like you at the end of our days? We want to hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. But it won't happen if we get our eye off the prize, right? Yeshua teaches in Luke chapter 12, he says, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his house to give him their portion of food at the proper time? Blesses the servant whom his master will find a do, uh, so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to him, my master is delayed in coming, oh, he's, who knows when he'll be back. And he begins to beat the male and female servants and eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day that he does not expect him and an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, receive, will receive a severe beating. Okay? As I've said, it's easy to get to let the tests and trials of this world sideswipe us and throw us into a tailspin. But if we have our spiritual eyes open, if we have our you know, curb feelers on, no, all of our <laughs> things that make us sense the things around us, you know, and our radar, um, we can pass those tests that he puts in our path, in our way, and allow God to do the work on our behalf. He can do something miraculous in our lives. Maybe not a miracle like adding seven zeros to the end of the balance of our checking account, but maybe making us happier, more kind, more peaceful. A person who enjoys life and the people around us, a person who blesses other people, loves other people, loves Hashem, and does the work of the kingdom. <clears throat> and then we can turn those miracles into banners. We can hold up and share with our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our family, our community, as a source of encouragement and inspiration. To remind us that if we keep our eye on the prize, God do anything.
and that every single day will be one step closer to obtaining the prize, that reward that he has promised to those who await his appearance. May we be able to echo the words of the Apostle Paul when he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. May we all keep our eye on the prize, finish strong. Shabbat shalom.